0: This is going to be the sixth message. I think there's going to be one more message in this series talking about spirit. You know, we started out talking about that there is a spirit, that God is spirit. And spirit is not this distant, you know, never-never land that you have to figure out how to be mystical enough to get into the spirit. The whole context of spirit is framed up in uh, Romans 8 and Paul's teaching, and he says, this is how you know that you're in the Spirit, if the Spirit of God is in you. And that leads us to the conclusion, there's two kinds of people on this planet, those who have the Spirit, and those who don't have the Spirit. Jesus died for everyone. Jesus is the sin offering for everyone. Everyone on the planet is forgiven. But that does not mean that everybody on the planet yet has the indwelling Spirit of God, because you have to... Believe you have to respond to that, right? And there's some things that are creeping. Those of you, those of you that are paying attention to, you know, how how this message is sweeping across the the world, really. And it's just the gospel. I say this message. It's just the gospel. But some people, in a in a recoil and a response and a backlash to the legalism that they grew up in, they finally understand that there actually is a new covenant, and realize that oh. I best understand God by looking at Jesus. And then it's like, okay, well, what about hell? And what about this? And what about this Old Testament story? And so people swing. They, it's a, it's an overreaction a lot of times to the legalism they grew up in over to, they, it's like on the way, it's like they learn the gospel and then they just keep on going into error. And, you know, we don't want to do that. It is, it's infuriating to the religious mindset to say that everyone is forgiven. I'm telling you, they want you to work for it. That's a problem. Well, are you telling me that if he hasn't repented yet, that he's forgiven? Yes. 100%, absolutely. Do you know why? Because Jesus is the sin offering for your sin. Jesus is your forgiveness. God put everything on him so that he'd have nothing else to hold against you. Amen. God is not holding your sin against you. Amen. Does that mean it's okay to sin? Nope. I think Paul might have addressed that about 90 million times probably in his ministry. You know? You know, here's how you know if you're accurately preaching the gospel. People say, well, are you saying you can sin? You've done a good job. You set people so free that they think that you're saying sin is okay, and then you help them expose their legalistic mindset and make it about grace rather than sin. And grace is an empowerment over sin. God's not holding you against your sin, but he's given you his spirit, and his grace is alive within you and influences your heart to live within that power so that sin has no dominion over you. Is it possible to live sinless in this life? Yes. Yeah. Because grace is that powerful. That's right. Sin shall have no dominion over you. Can you still sin as a Christian? If you want to. Uh, you know, that's the problem with sin. That's why it's so frustrating. We, don't, we think we don't want to, but we do. <laughs> the reason you sin is because you want to. It's not in your nature any longer. Amen? I mean, I, I don't... I didn't plan on going into that, but I just kind of felt like, all right, let's just recap and just all get on the same platform because that, that is what this church is about. Amen. And then you take that and you break it down. So we've been talking about spirit and we're kind of to the point where with spirit, it's, it's a pretty profound thing that's within us that we walk in. And there are things that Jesus displayed and expects of us that are challenging. I'll just tell you right ahead. I'll just right now. I'm going to tell you, and I think I might even title it this. But today, is probably it could be the most challenging, and potentially the most offensive message you've ever heard in your life. Yes. Aren't you excited? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Woo. <Bring> it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, huh? Uh, meat. She said meat, oh, nice. not mean meat. 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 <laughs> meat. No, nope, not going to get beat. Well, here's what we're going to do. Hey, I'm talking here. Uh, anyway, no, I'm kidding. But it, the, this is why it's offensive, because we're going to look at what Jesus said and not water it down. That's pretty much all we're going to do. So y'all ready? Yep. You sure? Yep. Here's your chance. There's two doors. All right. So last week, I've just recapped real quick last week. We went through Mark 6 and kind of here's the recap. Jesus gives his disciples power to heal people and cast out devils to the 12. He later gave it to the 72. And, which I love this story, it's in Luke 9. There's this one guy that apparently overheard somehow. He's not one of the 12. He's not one of the 72. But he goes out and he starts casting out devils and healing people. And John, the, the one whom Jesus loved... You know, the love disciple comes back to Jesus and says, hey, we found this guy out here casting out devils and we told him to stop because he doesn't follow with us. You know, he's thinking, all right, it's just. But he still had that mindset. This is for us. This is exclusive. This is just either just for the Jews, which were the elect or some type of exclusivity he had in his mind. And what did Jesus say? If he's not against me, he's for me. Don't tell him to stop. So I see me as that guy. I think we're all that guy. I think that's why that story is told the way that it is. Here's this no-name guy, not mentioned by name. He's not part of the 12 and he's not part of the 72 that Jesus sent out later, but he's doing it. And Jesus puts his stamp of approval on it and tells the ones who are with... You know, Jesus didn't say... Well, what's his name? Let me go find him. Bring him here so I can walk with him for three years and get him, make sure he's straight. No, Jesus trusted the Spirit that he released. And apparently, it was for whosoever shall believe. Amen. I love that. But to me, that, that tells a lot about the character of Jesus and his trust in the Holy Spirit. Amen. I think that's where church gets dicey for people is that they don't trust the Holy Spirit for other people. And so... The leadership tries to be the Holy Spirit for people because people are not smart in some leadership's opinions. I mean, I'm just telling you, that's how a lot of church leadership thinks. It's like, you can't think for yourself, so let me show you how to be a Christian. And what we do is, I want to tell you who you are, and then the Holy Spirit will walk you through it. That's what Jesus did, so I figure it's a pretty good model, right? All right. So he sends them out, they come back to Jesus and they report that it's working. They're actually doing it. They're healing people, they're casting out devils. Because it's working, thousands of people gather as they're meeting and having their follow-up meeting about this stuff working. So they get in a boat, they go to the next town, and thousands of people run ahead and they're waiting for these guys when they get off the boat, and so Jesus preaches to them. He preaches probably all day. He was into some long sermons, you know. And then uh, his disciples come to him and say, hey, it's getting late. These people probably need to eat. You tell them to go into the nearby cities and buy some food. And Jesus says, what did Jesus say? (laughs) You feed them. What? Okay, now pause. You feed them. Hey, Jesus, my, fin- my friend is struggling with cancer. You heal them. Is it you that's doing the healing? No, you have the spirit of the living God within you, but he confirms the word. I'm, I'm just telling you, remember I reminded you this is challenging and potentially offensive, so just go ahead and decide that you love me. You're not going to get mad at me. You feed them. Think about that. Put yourself in that disciple's shoes. Hey, Jesus, man, you're incredible. You just ministered to all these people. You know, people are loving this. They're responding. They're saying that you're the Messiah. This is amazing. They're hungry. You feed them. I mean, I'm going to pause a few minutes, and if you are looking at me like, keep talking, then just give it a moment for the other people that are connecting with it. You feed them so he expected them to do what he was about to do. Now this is the part where you can dive deep within your systematic theological approach and pull up all your doctrine and go to the Old Testament and start thinking about your definition of sovereignty and make a whole bunch of excuses of why they didn't feed them or you can let the story sit where it is and Jesus expected them to to feed them because I'm telling you I'm going to get the emails I already know them. I've already gotten them <laughs> well let me just tell you why well I don't care why let me tell you why this one gets healed and this one doesn't I don't care why you're probably wrong anyway does Jesus want them well I'm getting ahead of myself I, I'm, I'm, you know, it's challenging for me, too. And that, just so you know, this, is, this message is not really about miracles. It's about Jesus' expectations of us and our response to who he is. Okay? But contextually, we're going to look at some miracle stuff. So they say, what's their response? You feed them. You know, they're like, okay, well, gosh, that'll take six months to make enough money to feed this many people. And we talked about that last week. You know, has that been your response? God God inspires you to do something and you instantly think about, I don't have enough money. You ever done that? Or you think about some type of carnal limitation. Jesus says, you do this. You know, I don't know that God would let you have a, a dream that's biblically accurate and inspired by the Spirit of God. I don't think he would let you have that kind of hope without being willing to back it up. I mean, he even said that. Go out there and preach this stuff. I'll back you up. Preach in my authority. Tell them who I am. I'll be with you. The Father will be with you. The Spirit will be there and confirm it. Go. So their response is money. So Jesus goes ahead and feeds the 5,000 men with two fish and five loaves of bread. That exact same night, that very night, the disciples get caught in a storm and are afraid for their lives. Jesus sees them up on the mountain, sees them struggling and so he takes a walk on the on the water that they're afraid of. Right? They're looking at these waves and Jesus is walking on them. I'm not saying that Jesus brings the storm. It's just that your storm doesn't phase him. You know, a lot of people think, well, I met Jesus in the midst of this tragedy that I had. So therefore he caused it so that I would meet him. No. You cannot, cannot, through the life of Jesus, ever come to that type of conclusion that Jesus brings or allows the storm. He always calms it. There's a promise, I will put none of these diseases on you. So we're told that he intended to pass by them. Isn't that interesting? He He intended to pass them by. Why? Because they needed to suffer a little while to get holy enough for him to get in the boat? Probably not. Personally, I think it's because he's like, well, I just fed the 5,000. These guys are jacked up. They're excited, man. And he's walking. He's probably thinking, I'm going to this next town, and we're going to go preach. And what's up, boys? And here we go. And they're like, he didn't, you know, I don't even know if he knew they were freaking out over there. Of course he knew they were freaking out. But you know what I'm saying? Like his mindset was, this is where we're going. Here's my boys with me. Oh, wait a minute. Y'all are scared? Well, let me go on over here and help you out and get in the boat. What? What? Don't be afraid, O ye of little faith. You still don't understand. And so then we get to this part. They cry out. He gets in the boat, calms the storm, and we're told that they are afraid and their hearts are hard because they didn't understand the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were hard because they didn't understand the miracle of the loaves. And understand, remember, means to join together. And this is, this is where we are as believers. We are in the joining together business. Amen. We are in the mind renewal business. And what you are to join together is who God is with your circumstance. Amen. Unfortunately, they're separate in most of our lives and in most of our situations is that, well, we see that Jesus is somehow willing and available and I kind of trust him, but this is my reality, lack, fear, Pain, debt, illness. That's my reality. I see Jesus. Jesus, you're my Lord. You're my God. I know that you can do it, but this is my reality. You have to join together your current situation with who Jesus is. How does Jesus see it? What did he display toward your condition in the Bible? The stories that we have are written for you to go, not so that you'll read it, and then figure out how you're supposed to live to make him happy. Those stories were written so that you could read it and be inspired and say, man, you know, these guys, I've never had to feed 5,000 people, but I've got this. I can take. So I can lift something out of what they went through and m- apply it to me. I can join together in my circumstance what, who Jesus is and have some hope. Right? So... I didn't really give it as formal homework. I know that some of you had uh, life groups and discussed it. I went home and I I pondered the miracle of the loaves all week long. I thought about it a lot because I don't want my heart to be hard. Do you? You And that's what he said. He said, the reason that you're in this position is because you didn't understand the miracle of the loaves. Or the reason that you are afraid of the situation that you're in is because you didn't understand the miracle of the lows. so I asked myself daily you know it just kind of naturally came out what should I understand about the miracle of the loaves I hope that you asked yourself that question this week if you didn't take this week and do it what is it that you understand about the miracle of the lows? so this is what I came this is what I got out of it and this it's basic simple but profound Jesus can control the physical world and it responds to him. He multiplied bread. He multiplied fish. He told storms to stop. Jesus is Lord over all creation. Isn't he? Do you doubt that? There's a man rolls up in a wheelchair his entire life He's never spoken, he can't hear, he can't see, he can't walk, and he has cancer. I mean, you know, that's like the saddest scenario ever. I realize that. But, and his wife left him. And his dog died. You know, whatever you've been through. I, I don't make, I, you know, it's thanks. But think about that. Here's a guy in, just imagine the worst possible situation that you can imagine. Here's somebody. And Jesus is standing in front of him. And Jesus prays for him. What happens in your mind? You're watching this play out right here in this church. This guy's in this wheelchair. Jesus prays for him. What happens? What does he do? I mean, think about it. What is his reaction? What is Jesus' reaction? Do you have any doubt that Jesus can completely restore that guy. That's who Jesus is. Don't water it down just because of your situation and what happened the last time you tried to pray for somebody. I'm telling you, challenging and potentially offensive. But we need to trust God so Jesus can control the physical world. The other thing is that he expected his disciples to do the same. And when I say physical world, you know, that's a big umbrella. Circumstances, uh, your health, your finances, all of that stuff. This world was designed to respond to the, the authority of mankind. And Jesus expected his disciples to walk in that authority. And when they didn't, he didn't like it. He rebuked them. That's, I mean, you know. Think about your prayer life and the things that you're whining to Jesus about. Me too. And we start rehearsing all of our lack to Jesus. What would Jesus say? Now, he'd be loving and kind and he would comfort you. But he'd probably say, you still don't understand? Oh, you of little faith, why don't you believe? That would be hard to hear. I mean, I'm telling you, some of us might not actually like Jesus. That guy's hard, man. Really? I mean, think about it, you know? Now, I have one particular conclusion that I'm getting to, but I want to provoke some things within you along the way. You know, So don't wait for me to give you the big doctrinal dissertation of how you're supposed to think about every single point in this. We're just looking at Jesus. We're looking at who He is, what He said and what he expected from those who believe in him. Let's keep it simple. Again, this is not about miracles. This is about what Jesus expects from us. All right, so a couple of examples. Mark 6, verse 5. And I'm going to be in the uh, NIV. So this is when Jesus goes to his hometown, goes back to minister to his hometown, and it says this. He could not do any miracles there. Now... This word "could" is the Greek word "dunamai," and it means to be able to do something. Now, there's another story where Jesus is—it's uh, th- it's accounted in this uh, the same story is accounted, and it says he did not. But in this version, the Greek word "dunamai" is actually in the transcript, the, the original manuscript. He was not able. He could not. See, some people would translate it and say, because they didn't honor him as a prophet, he refused to do miracles there. You heard it taught that way? See, they didn't honor him for who he was, so he withheld releasing the mighty work for them. No, he wasn't able. All right, let's read the whole thing. He could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. I mean, that's kind of a miracle. Well, how's the Bible define a miracle? What should they have been doing? If laying hands on the sick is the exception, mm-hmm. that's challenging in and of itself. Amen. Amen. I mean, you know, if your body, if you do some, if you pray for somebody and what happens is what the body is naturally designed to do, maybe it's, I don't know. We'll <laughs> Verse six, he was amazed at their lack of faith or at their unbelief. He could not do, he was not able to do any miracles there because of their unbelief. And I'm giving it a minute because I know what happens. All of the catalog of teachings of sovereignty that you've heard your entire life raise their head up and let's just go ahead and cut that head off of that thing that's raising itself up because it's plain and clear. He couldn't do it. Are you saying that there are things that God can't do when people don't believe? Yeah. Okay, so does that mean they need to go and figure out how to get more faith? Not necessarily, because faith is not in a bank over there and you work for it and then you go get more of it. Faith is one thing, and that is a response to who God is. You want great faith? Be more convinced of who God is. You want little faith? Question who God is. Did God really say? That's little faith. That's the lie that was perpetrated at the beginning and has stuck in the minds of mankind ever since then. Does God really want? I mean, I can can feel it. Go ahead and just take a deep breath. Just relax for a minute. You good? Challenging, I'm telling you. So... It's kind of like this. Hey, Jesus, why didn't you heal those people? I couldn't because they didn't believe. That's challenging. Matthew 17, verse 14, another example. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus, knelt before him. Lord, now this is after he gave his disciples the power to do these things. So this man came to Jesus and he said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He had seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. And Jesus says, you unbelieving and perverse generation. What? Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long should I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. He's talking about his disciples. Now, he's not angry with them. He's perplexed. You still don't understand? There's still this amount of unbelief within you? I've given you this power. I mean, I can just imagine where he went with it, right? So Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy. How did he get rid of it? I just read it. Pretty simple. He rebuked it, and it left. Did he stop and say, wait a minute, I got to go pray and fast? No. What did he say? He rebuked it and it left. That's important because of where we're going here in a second. And he was healed at that moment. All right. So the disciples couldn't do it. He rebuked them. Then he did it. Then the disciples came to him in private and asked, why couldn't we? I'm so glad they recorded this. Aren't you thankful that Matthew wrote this down? Say, "Thank thank you, Matthew. You know, this was a real guy that wrote this down for a reason. So why couldn't we drive it out? Jesus said, because you have so little faith. Remember, faith is not something that you get more of. It's how convinced are you of who God is. And will he be that? Is he a provider? How often is he a provider? Is he sometimes a provider and sometimes not? Is he a healer? Yes. How often is he a healer? Is he going to be a healer for you but not for you? No. He is a healer. You encounter God, you encounter healing. Are you challenged yet? I am. I mean, I really am. I, I, honestly, I don't really like telling you these things. <laughs> I, I kind of don't. Because it, it, it's, not, it's not fun. But it's serious. I mean, I want to to live the way that Jesus expects me to live, not because I'm afraid that he's going to send me to hell, not because I'm afraid that he's not going to be happy with me, but because of what he's done for me. I want to represent him. Because you have, or he could have said, because of unbelief. Some translations say unbelief, some say so little faith. Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here and it'll move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, does he expect you to go move Mount Kilimanjaro? Not really. That's metaphorical. He's talking about the problem. All right. So, why couldn't we drive it out? Because of your unbelief. Now, in, uh, in the King James, this verse is there. Verse 21. It's not in the NIV, but it says, however, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now, let me just tell you, there's been some goofy stuff made up about this. That phrase right there, it, like, it's not actually in most of the translations. If you go and you do some study on original manuscripts, it's not in a lot of the original manuscripts. However, some people have taken that phrase and taught it this way. There are stronger demons, and the way that you get higher levels of authority and more power in Jesus is you go pray and fast, and after you've prayed and fasted, then you have the authority to cast out that type of demon. Baloney. That that is not even close to what he's saying. If anything, if that is in there, he says, they say, Jesus, why couldn't we cast it out? He says, because of your unbelief. And oh, by the way, this kind of unbelief comes out by prayer and fasting. So you're not working for anything when you pray and fast. What you're doing when you fast is you are quieting your physical world, your physical body, your mind, your carnal thinking, and you are recalibrating back to focusing on spiritual thinking, and you're giving your heart an opportunity to trust God. Rather than your physical desires and your, the physical body defining how you're going to trust God. There's one spirit, one authority, one power. You have been anointed by God with Christ. There's one power. He is supreme over everything. In Him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily, the fullness, and that dwells in you. There's not another level of authority that you lack, that you gain through something that you do through your physical efforts. It's really simple. That's not how it works. You have the power over anything that is below Jesus. Well, you have authority, let's say. Why? Because you are in Jesus. You're a joint heir with him and you've been given the keys. Amen? Amen? All right, so that's kind of a side note. So back to the mustard seed. He says, uh, because of your unbelief, why couldn't we do it? Why couldn't we do what you gave us the power to do? Why?" Now, these are the same guys that had already done it. Yeah. Remember that? Jesus gave them power. They were doing it. They came back all excited. Jesus, it's working. They go feed 5,000. They got to learn another lesson. They didn't understand the miracle of the loser. I wonder... If because their hearts were hard and they didn't understand the miracle of the loaves, it desensitized them and they kind of stepped away from being able to cast out devils. It's like, oh, wait a minute. We got afraid again. You know, another scenario came up that was hard for me and I didn't know what to do and I didn't know how to do it. Thankfully, Jesus was there to rescue us. Now I'm facing something that I have faced before and this time it's defeating me. Your heart is hard. Does that mean that you're evil? No. No. Does that mean you're sinful by nature? No. No. It just means for whatever reason, you've allowed this world to desensitize you from the Spirit of God within you. And I'll show you how to stop that. There is innuendo that you could do it by prayer and fasting. But if if you do that, just make sure that the goal of prayer and fasting is so that your heart softens toward Him. Not that you're going to earn anything from Him. You know, prayer and fasting is kind of like cleaning a dirty window. You can see better once it's clean again. Amen. And it's, not, it's not dirty because you become dirty. It's because carnal thinking clouds that window. Amen? Amen. So, the mustard seed. They can't, they're not doing what He expected them to do, and He rebukes them, but He teaches them. You know, he's always going to teach. He's always going to bring us back around. And he likens it to the mustard seed. So thankfully, once again, math. Now, actually what he's doing is he's throwing back to something that he'd already taught them about the mustard seed in the kingdom. So when he, when he said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you just back up a little bit and you see he actually already taught on that. So let's contextualize what he means there by what he already taught. Does that make sense? You don't have to make something up about... Well, if I had to have faith like a mustard seed and then you make... It's like, no, he already gave it to us. So let's read that. Matthew 13, 31. He told them... Enough, no, so this is before this event. He was teaching them so that they would have it. And let's go to Matthew 13. Please, sir, back there. All right. So he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Which a man took and planted in his field. So now you're instantly triggered. We're talking about the parable of the sower. And the parable of the sower is very simply this. The condition of the heart that the word is sown in determines the degree of the yield. The condition of the heart that the promise that the word of God is sown into the condition of the heart. The condition of the soil. The condition of that inner man. And when I say condition, I mean in that present moment, how receptive is it to the word? Because the condition deep within is... Righteous, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm not talking about a sliding scale of holiness or righteousness. That's settled. Forgiveness, sanctification, redemption, all settled in Christ. Now, the heart being kind of that place that bridges spirit and natural realm, that is the governor. That is the place where God speaks and that is the place where the things of God come through you and into your world. And it, it can limit or promote That word that's in there. That's why we talk so much about identity and heart because your heart affects everything you do. Everything. Out of your heart flow all the issues of life above all else. The primary thing that you are to do is guard your heart. The peace of God guards your heart. You know, I love it. I love putting all this together because he's like, all right, here's the most important thing you can do. Guard your heart. Here's how you guard your heart connect with the peace of God. I'm so thankful that Adam follows the spirit of the living God and puts us in a place where we have the choice to allow the peace of God to prep that soil. So we will let it grow. Now here's the thing. So let's, go, let's keep going here. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds... Can come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked through the whole dough. Why couldn't we do it, Jesus? Because of your unbelief. However, if you have faith like a mustard seed or like yeast... That's very, very little, but yet you take the time and Mark 4 expounds a little bit more. Jesus does. He says the, 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 the thought and degree and what, the measure that you meet will be measured back to you. So the measuring that you are to do is on what? Right? So the measure that you meet to this word that's within you, this mustard seed, this kingdom, because ultimately that's what he's talking about, the kingdom in you. The kingdom in you growing and manifesting and increasing into your world is dependent on the condition of your heart. To what degree have you allowed the Word of God? And I don't just mean like the things written in the Bible, that's part of it, but I mean the living element of who Jesus is. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is the logic, the logos, the character and and the integrity of God became a human. And that is alive, and it's within you. How, this is how it works. We couldn't do it, Jesus. Why not? Because you're unbelief. However, if you will have the kind of faith that you allow to permeate every aspect of your being, every aspect of your being, nothing will be impossible for you. Amen. So how do you do that? What is this mustard seed? What is this yeast? What do you pray? What is it that you're supposed to understand from the miracle of the loaves? What is it that you engage in? How do you engage in this process of letting that yeast, letting that mustard seed permeate deep within you so that you reach the place of nothing is impossible for you? I'm going to read one last passage here. It's a story. It's just a real quick story. And, it, you know, I, I, pray that, I pray that you see it. I'm going to read this and just see if you catch it. Remember, what we're about, I'm about to give you, it's not a formula, but I'm about to give you something that, If you can incorporate this, this is what you pray. This is what you meditate on. This is the thing that is the mustard seed that you engage in this process to let it permeate every ounce of your being. Are you ready? Ready. All right, here we go. Mark 8. It's just three verses. Mark 8 verse 1. This is talking about another time that it's all right here together. But this is talking about a time when um, you know Jesus fed another 4,000, they fed 5,000, and then just a, probably a couple of weeks later fed another 4,000. I'm going to actually talk about that tomorrow and more about the heart issue. So, huh? Next week, Well, let's just have church tomorrow. <laughs> Next week, thank you. All right, here we go. This is the thing. I. I You know, those who say, I have ears to hear. I have ears to hear. I'll catch it. I'll catch it. All right, Mark 8, verse 1. It's not a secret. You know, it's not like, oh, I found the secret. Ready? Say, say, "Read." read. Okay, I'll read. Mark 8, verse 1. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, open your hearts, watch this. I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and they have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry they will collapse on the way because some of them have a long distance. Do you see it? Go back to verse 2 again. I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me for three days and they don't have anything to eat and if I send them away, they're going to collapse. We have to feed them. I have compassion for these people. This is what you meditate on. This is what you take and you plant in your heart and you allow it to permeate everything that you know. What is this? It's Jesus' heart toward you. I have compassion for these people. This is God. If you don't understand the heart of God towards you, it will be legalistic. It will be confusing. You will judge God through your circumstances. But if you know the heart of God, you know why He would expect you to receive what He's given you the power to receive because He has compassion for you. He wants to meet your needs. He will meet your needs. He is a provider and He wants to be your provider. It's not just perform up to this level of faith and then I'll release something for you. No, God has compassion for you. I hope that's as profound for you as it was for me this week when He showed me this. The thing, it's not working. It's not working for me. It's not working. I've got this where I'm still sick, I'm still broke, I'm still depressed, it's not working. Jesus looks at you and he says, I have compassion for you. I need to feed you because when you walk away, you might collapse. And I don't want that to happen. I don't want you to walk away in lack. I don't want you to walk away hungry. I am the bread of life. I can do something about this. But you have to engage me. You have to let this, the nature and the mind of God toward you, permeate everything that you know. Everything that you know. Everything that you feel, does it correspond with God's heart towards you? Jesus, I have compassion for these people. They're hungry. They're sick. They're depressed. They're without God. They don't know me. They don't know the truth. I have to feed them. I am the bread of life. If they will partake of me, they will find rest for their soul. They will never thirst again. They will never be hungry again. They will walk in everything that I paid for. And so, can you see? It's like, you perverse and wicked generation, what is wrong with you? You still don't understand? It's out of compassion, it's out of this love. It's like, because he's so, you ever done it with your kids? Like you see something within them and you're so so in love with them and so full of compassion for them that when they don't behave the way that you see them, it's frustrating. Jesus says, well, I died. I'm going to die for this. I've been feeding thousands. I've been healing thousands. I have compassion and I want to feed you. God wants to meet your needs. God is not interested in you coming to Him and walking away in lack. Amen. It's not who He is. It is not who He is. You best understand Jesus. You can, know, you can know God the best by looking at Jesus. And in a moment like this that I think kind of gets glossed over, you miss the human element. You miss the heart of who He is and how He thinks. But I'm telling you, that's the gold right there. Take time to think about Jesus. Go home this week. Do whatever it takes for you to find a place. Get in the place. Go to that passage, Mark 8, beginning of the chapter, and just sit there with Jesus and watch Him. Feel how He feels toward those people and allow that to change how you think He feels about you. Because that's the heart of God. Jesus is the exact representation of the invisible God. Well, what about Job? What about Jesus? (laughs) Well, Well, what about the Philistine? Well, what about Jesus? Let's talk about Jesus first, then we'll go back and talk about that stuff. You know what I mean? It's like people didn't understand who God was until Jesus. And Jesus revealed who God really is. Did those things happen? Yes, they happened. But how should you think about them? Let's first understand Jesus, because we'll understand the heart of God. Then we go back and reinterpret. Well, what about my life? I've prayed, I believe. You tell me you don't have I don't have enough faith? Is that what you're telling me? And of course, you know, people took that and ran into a ditch with it. As if you could confess more faith or you could twist the arm of God by giving more money or something like that, you know? No. No. The only way you get great faith is you become more convinced of the heart of God Amen. toward you. Amen. Are you with me? Yes. Do you feel it? Yes. It's God's heart. It's what he wants. He wants to be that for you. Don't ever question it. Amen? Amen. Jesus, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you. Now, we do. We just take a minute. I, I, I want to have an image of, in my mind and in my heart of you looking at the people having compassion toward them. Jesus is looking at these people. I want to feed them. I want to heal them. It is my desire. It is who I am. It is why I came. I'm not trying to be distant from people. I'm not interested in a legalistic relationship. I want to meet their needs. I want to feed them. I want to heal them. I want to be their God. I want to dwell within them and dwell among them. I want them to experience the benefits of being in my family. I'm willing to die for them so that they would share in my inheritance. I'm giving them everything that I have so that their joy may be full and we can have a relationship that lasts forevermore so that he can continually show us the unending depth and riches of his grace through all eternity. I'm telling you, God is way bigger than you think and he loves you more than you could ever imagine and he wants to be that for you. Jesus, I just sit and I just look at you. I watch you look at people and I want to feel your heart of your desire to feed them and heal them and bring them to a place of restoration so that they can experience a loving relationship with you. I am committed, Lord, me personally. And if this is your prayer, you know, you just, you just agree with this. Father, I'm committed to not watering down who you are. My ultimate expression of what life is like in you is heaven. Like, that's my ultimate understanding of what you want, and that's heaven. And in heaven, there's no sickness, there's no lack, no one is hungry, there's no depression, there's no suicide, there's no addiction, there's no perversion of how you created men and women to be, there's no sides, there's no politics, there's no borders, there's none of the stuff that divides us. Lift our minds into that place of seeing us as your citizens, representatives to come to this earth and tell them about who you really are. That's all we want to do. We just want to represent you well. We want to experience Jesus, what you came to give us, and we want to represent you well to invite people into that kind of relationship. So I give you my heart. I give you my mind. I commit to you as my Lord to walk in that and not belittle or not water down what it is that you expect from me. I want to respond out of the love that you have for me. I want I want you to be proud of me because of what you've done for me. I love you, Lord.